Excellent God, give you thanks. Give you thanks for this beautiful morning. We give you thanks for this chance that we have to worship you. We give you thanks that you brought us here, that you woke us up, and that once again we can be here in the house of the Lord with our brothers and sisters of Christ. Um, and know that your presence is right here with us. Loving God, we pray that this time may be holy time, that this ground may be holy ground, whether we're joining in online, whether we're here in person, however we are connecting. Loving God, make this time about you, that we may hear your voice through the noise that is often our lives, that we may know your presence, that we may be convicted by that word, by that presence, and know in that all of that there is your grace. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that indeed you were born that day 2,000 years ago. And God, we give you thanks that we have this Lord, this Lord of all that took on this mortal life, walked with us, taught us, and offered us a new way to live and to know you. And so, loving God, may we, as we journey towards Christmas once again, have this be a chance where we can journey closer to you once again. That we can know once again your love and salvation and transformation. And loving God, we lift up those places where we are hurting, those places where we are in need of you. In particular, we lift up our dear sister, Tracy Oden, um, who is uh, suffering from illness. God, we pray uh, for her healing, uh, that all may be made right. We lift up Melissa, who is suffering from continued back and neck pain. God, we pray that that pain may be eased. God, it has been six difficult months. Um, and so, God, we pray that that may be made right, that she may be able to live without that pain. We lift up June, uh, who is suffering uh, from an allergic reaction uh, to amoxicillin. Um, God, we pray uh, for that little one, uh, that she may be made well. And we lift up Regina Finch, uh, who is suffering uh, from allergies, God, um, that those may be eased, um, that she may be able to breathe easy. And God, of course, we also lift up those who are suffering in the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. God, we pray for their healing. Um, they may know your healing hand, that they may have access to the medical care that they need, and that, that someday uh, this painful time it may be over, that we may all be able to breathe that sigh of relief of the return of normal. Uh, but God, we pray that no matter what time, no matter what season, no matter what is happening in the world, God, we pray that you may stir in our hearts that desire to serve you, that desire to love neighbor, that desire to go forth and be your people. God, we don't always get this right. Uh, God, we give you thanks that we have that grace. Um, we have that second chance love, that even as we mess up, you are there to love us, to dust us off, to hug us and welcome us home. And God, may we then be a part of welcoming others home, that all may come to know you and that we may be a part of it. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the kids to come forward uh, for a message prepared just for them. Um, this is a message that includes a small amount of pyrotechnics. We're going to set a thing on fire. Yes, that's great. I couldn't be happier. Okay, so y'all might, y'all are observant, and two of y'all have heard this already, but y'all are observant. You might notice it looks different in here uh, because we are in the run-up to Christmas. The season that is the run-up to Christmas is called Advent, which just means it's coming. Christmas is coming. It's like four and a half weeks away. There will be presents at some point, I promise. But one of the things we do in the lead-up to Christmas is in church, we prepare for Jesus. 
And one of the reasons, one of the ways we think about preparing for Jesus, we have this thing called an Advent wreath. How many, y'all notice there are candles? How many candles? There are five candles here, right? This one here in the center, this white candle, it represents Christ. And we won't light this one until Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, it'll be like 7.30 at night. It'll be dark outside. We'll come here for church. And that's when, that, and only then, when we light that candle. But in the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Eve, we light a candle. And they stand for different things. Today, we're going to light this candle. It's the candle of hope. Because Jesus' birth represents the hope for all of us. The hope that we can have a relationship with God. Hope that all will be made right. That even if the world isn't perfect yet, when Christ comes back, it will be made perfect. And at Christmas, we celebrate two things. That Christ came, but also that we can hope and know that he will come back. And so, on the first Sunday of Advent, come on, there we go. We light the candle of hope. The Christ is the hope, even in a dark world. You guys pray with me? Take hands like this, put them like this, put your lap by your heads, close your eyes. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope. Help us to hope in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job, friends. You can go back to your seats. We're not. It's cool. Our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves oh, that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on your guard, that your hearts are not weighed down with dispiation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that the day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon the earth and... And, excuse me, will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape these things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. See, it's God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen. So, so I was talking to some of y'all uh, during meet and greet. I drove to the East Coast and back in the past week. Uh, I left about an hour after this service ended. 
um, on uh, last Sunday, and I got back at 11, uh, almost exactly at 11 p.m. last night, uh, because it's two days of driving, and that means if you want any amount of time uh, to be present, you've got to kind of book it. Um, and so I drove Monday, Tuesday, uh, Sunday, Monday, we're there, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we drove back Friday, Saturday. And I've been making this, you know, pilgrimage to the East Coast of the U.S. Um, two to three times a year uh, for the past 16 years. I first did it in 2005 um, when I went from Houston, Texas to Williamsburg, Virginia to start college. And this was the first time um, I got into this. I, we took the I-20 route. There's the I-10 route or the I-20 route. Uh, this to that time, we took the I-20 route. It's the first time I learned that Alabama is a giant racetrack um, and that if you were going to place your bets on who were going to be the future NASCAR stars, they're all going to be from Alabama because that's the only place where traffic is moving at 15 miles an hour faster than I am. And I am not going the speed limit to start with, uh, but it is only in Alabama where someone blow always, I'm constantly, I'm spending my time in the right lane getting passed by people 100 miles an hour. I started making this, I make this journey now because I, I married someone from Virginia, and so we make the visit to see her family because turns out I can't see them on Christmas, right? Because I have this job that requires me to work on Christmas. Um, I know, weird, right? Um, and so we spend Christmas with my family because they are from Texas, and it's a very easy drive, and we spend Thanksgiving with Sydney's family. But I started this because I went to college at William & Mary, which is in Williamsburg, Virginia. And so every time I drive the route, and certainly when I drove the route over the past couple days, I think about what it was like that first time I made the journey from Texas to Virginia. And the things that I felt on that journey. Because certainly it was a journey for something that I had hoped for quite a bit. I had worked really hard in high school to be able to go to the college that I wanted to go to. I had put in extra college credit hours and SAT score prep and activities and all sorts, all the like stuff you got to do to go to college, kids. You got to do the things. I had done all of the things. And I had gotten into the college that ended up at the top of my list. And so this was going to be great. I had been working for this for four years. But anytime you're at one of those kind of crossroads in your life, even if you know, in this case I certainly knew, what I was heading towards was better. You are leaving behind a world that may be worse, but even if it is worse, it is comfortable, or it is known, or it is what you're used to. It is the relationships that you are used to. It is the life that you are used to. It is the routines that you know. Even if those routines are bad, even the people in your relationships were bad. And certainly some of the people I was in a relationship prior to college were bad people. And it is much better now that I am not in those relationships. And I suspected that life was going to be a heck of a lot better on the other side of that drive. But still, when you find yourself in that crossroads, when you do have that hope of the thing that is to come, there is still pain and loss and mourning and suffering, potentially, that goes along with closing a chapter, even as closing that chapter 
means opening a new one. And so those feelings of closing a chapter and opening a new one is what strikes me every time I make that journey from Texas to Virginia. Because at 19, that's what I did. I knew I wanted this better life, this better life that going to this college that I really wanted to go to were going to provide me. And it did. It worked out. I, like, graduated and got married and found my call to ministry and very much end up here because I made that journey that first time and kept making. But still, I felt that trepidation and that loss and that pain that comes from closing a chapter. And that tension, that tension that you feel at a crossroads, sits at the heart of today's scripture and also at the heart of the life of faith. Because in today's scripture, Jesus in, in Luke 21, and not just in Luke 21, but we happen to pull Luke 21 today. Luke 21, Jesus talks about you know, suffering and the clouds shaking and the you know earth being rent in two and all these things and the earth and the heavens passing away. But then, on the other side of that, is God's word and God's redemption and light and hope and peace. So we always, as Christians living in the age we live in, and not just because it's the 21st century, but because it's any moment after Pentecost, live in this tension, knowing that this imperfect world that we live in now will pass away. And that's not going to be a comfortable process. But on the other side of that uncomfortable process is something far better. We get the whole idea of apocalypses entirely wrong. We think we approach them with fear. I love this painting. I literally Googled painting of apocalypse, and, th and then I found this one, and then I fell in love, because this looks like the sea is fighting a volcano. Um, I have no, it's, it's an amazing image of what, if I were to go around and ask you, hey, what does the apocalypse look like? That's a reasonable one, right? Like, that's, that looks pretty darn apocalyptic. And so we approach apocalypse, the idea of an apocalypse, with fear. We use apocalyptic as uh, synonymous with terrible or awful or tremendously bad. It was an apocalyptic battle. But all an apocalypse really is, is the end of an age. And for us as Christians, if it means the end of an age, we take God's promise um, in the story of Noah seriously, that he's not, God's not going to wipe us all out again, then the end of one age... It's the beginning of another one. So I, I found a, another painting, and this is, this is a painting of St. John that, according to the artist, shows the descent of the New Jerusalem. Do you see it? Do you see the New Jerusalem? This is not the children's sermon. It's there. It's on his face. This is St. John writing the book of Revelation. And this is what it looked, what the artist thought it was. It should put artist's rendering. This is an artist's rendering of John's face as he holds the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. That after recording something that does sound a lot like a lava monster fighting a sea monster, except everyone has a lot more eyes, because Revelation is a weird eye thing. This is what he sees on the other side of it, is hope. 
is peace. Is everything being made right? It is new life. What happens when the chapter gets closed on this age? And the chapter opens on the age to come? Is light and hope and peace and it all being made right. It is that expression on John's face. We think, I think, we think, there is one apocalypse story in the New Testament. There, there's a bunch in the Old Testament, but we think that Revelation is the only story of an apocalypse in the New Testament. Except that's not true. The story of Jesus is an apocalypse, friends. It's just an apocalypse we're on the other side of. It is the historical record of an apocalypse rather than the prediction of one to come. Think about it. Go with me on this, friends. I know we think this is Christmas and we're not celebrating the end times. We're celebrating the birth of a child. But that birth of a child was the end of an age and the beginning of a new one. Think of what life was right before Jesus was born, right? The temple deeply corrupted. We talked about that recently. The temple not doing what it should do. The Roman Empire is ruling in Judea, and the Roman Empire is really sneaky. The Roman Empire would not ban your religion. No, 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 that causes wars. What the Roman Empire would do is like slowly infect your culture until your culture falls apart and goes away. And so God's people are, A, God's people are not doing what they should do. B, God's people are in the hands of the evil empire that's slowly trying and apparently succeeding at poisoning their culture. So that's before Jesus comes. The temple is the main place you worship God. It's all falling apart. It's all being poisoned. On the other side of the story of Christ's life, what are we living in? We're living in a world where anyone can access God anywhere. We're living in a world of grace available to all, that every knee can bow, that every tongue can confess, and it doesn't matter who you were born to, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter anything else, all you need to do is pray to God, and boom, you're in the family. You're grafted in, uh, you're the weird uncle from the other place, but you're grafted into God's family. And in between that was a lot of suffering, particularly for Jesus. So Jesus being born and teaching and dying and rising and the Holy Spirit descending is the story of an end of an age, the closing of one chapter and the opening of a new one. And on the other side of that is the age we live in now. That's a heck of a lot better than what came before. We all would not be able to do what we are doing in the previous age. We'd all make a lot more frequent trips to Jerusalem and that's going to really rack up the air miles at some point. It's really expensive. If you can only truly worship God in Jerusalem. No, we can worship God anywhere. And we get to be a part of this family as Gentiles that we would not have been able to in the previous age. So as Jesus stands with his followers in Luke chapter 21, talking about the end of time, the end of the age, it is not meant to discourage, it is meant to encourage. Because he does not describe just destruction. He then leads into the parable of the fig tree, where it is described that summer is coming and not winter. In Luke chapter 21, verses 30, 29 through 31. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. 
and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. This is not Game of Thrones. It is not winter is coming. It is summer is coming. That summer is already near. That Jesus in Luke 21 is talking on two levels. Luke 22 is when the whole, like, he gets arrested and killed stuff starts kicking off. So in some ways, he is talking about something that's about to happen. He is looking at his followers. He does not have a whole lot of time left to tell them what's up. It's going, okay, it's going to be bad, and then it's going to be good. When you see things going bad, that can be a sign that the good stuff just around the corner. But most scholars, and I certainly I agree with them, in this part of Luke 21, he's talking in both ways, about the thing that's about to happen and the thing that is still to come. That in all these things, even as things look not yet as they should be, that is not a reason to give up, that is a reason to take hope. That is a reason to know that summer is near. That as you close the book on an age, it hurts. But as you open the book on a new age, new life, the chance to begin again is there. So Jesus challenges the disciples and challenges us that in all these ways to be ready. And that is verses 34 through 36. Be on your guard. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that the day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Be alert and be hopeful. Don't give in to the lie that is hopelessness. The greatest lie the enemy tells is not that God does not exist. It's that God does exist, but God can't fix your problem. So don't give in to the hopelessness. Don't look at the world and say, God can't fix that, when in fact it is the sign that summer is near. But also don't love the what is happening in the current age to lose sight of the better age that is to come. Do not be so comfortable with the ways of the world in this age that you cannot hope for the age to come. Being alert involves both of those things. It involves having hope even in a dark world. And it also means not being so in love with the dark world uh, that you cannot see the new one. That's the drunkenness and the dissipation. We're not going to get specifically on what those words imply, but like, look... Uh, Practice some biblical self-control so that you can understand the glory that is God. Yeah, absolutely. It is both having hope and not being pulled into loving this world so much that you forget about the world to come. Friends, ages have ended before. God has closed the chapter on ages. And opened the chapter of new ones. 
That's the story of the gospel through Acts chapter 2, is the closing of one chapter and the opening of another. And aren't we so glad that we are in this chapter that we are in now, that gives us access to God that we would not have had as Gentiles living in the United States, which didn't exist yet. Set that aside. Thank God we, a chapter closed and a new chapter opened. At, back in many ages ago, there was just a formless void. There was no creation at all. And in an apocalyptic, the end of an age and the opening of new ones, God spoke and let there be light and there was light and there was the sun and the moon and the earth and the stars. Creation itself was an apocalyptic event. It closed the age of the void and opened up the age of new life. And in our own lives, too, we have had the opportunity to close a chapter on one age and open the chapter on another. And so, in a lot of ways, we can have that hope that things will begin again. That even in the midst of turmoil, there is hope that God will, Christ will return in final victory. And all will be set right. And the whole world will begin again. The new Jerusalem will descend. But also in our own lives, we have that opportunity to close the book and end a previous age and begin a new chapter with God. And we can do that all of the time. Part of why we go through this Advent journey, this lead up to Christmas every year, <clears throat> is... To give us that opportunity to close the chapter and open a new one, to begin again. Turns out that every first Sunday in Advent, preachers are supposed to, I don't always, I'm not always good about this, but you're supposed to preach on the end times in the first Sunday in Advent. It is Christian New Year, Happy New Year, friends, uh, begins on first Sunday in Advent, it's Christian New Year, and you're supposed to preach on the end times to remember where we have been and where we are going. And that because of where we have been, and because where we are going, each of us always have that opportunity to begin again. And so friends, be alert. To begin again means being alert to what God is doing in the world. That hope is alive and real. Both for the grand scope of creation and in your life. Whether you're talking about the state of the world, the state of your own soul, the greatest lie the enemy tells is there is no hope. If you believe there is no hope for you, that's a lie. Because in God, if we can be alert to what God is doing in us and in the world, we can always begin again as this world will begin again. And that's why we light that candle of hope. That we can know whether you feel like you are living in a personal darkness, whether you look out in a world that feels like it is full of darkness, it is summer that is near and not winter. Be alert to God's hope. Be alert that you can begin again. Let us pray. Grace and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we can indeed begin
again. We give you thanks that you are the hope even in a dark world. Loving God, may we truly know that even if the heavens and the earth will pass away, there is hope because your word will never perish. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Invite you to grab the hands of the people around you as we form one united body in Christ, because indeed, the power of God's Spirit that is what we are. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. There is hope in a dark world for us all and it all to begin again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go be.